Hello and welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. Wherever you are watching, perhaps listening to the podcast, thanks for taking the time out of your day to be together. If, like me, you're disappointed with the mainstream media and yearn for discussion on issues they simply won't talk about, you've come to the right place. As trust breaks down, alternative media sources like The Good Source are so important. What we're doing here today would have been almost impossible five to ten years ago. Now we can subvert the mainstream media and bring you commentary and information which would simply be cancelled anywhere else. Welcome to the revolution. Well, we're in for another bumper show this week. I'm going to be talking about the Tavistock judgment in the UK, which has sent an earthquake around the globe. The gender whisperers, as our Prime Minister Scott Morrison once called people who teach children the lie that their gender is fluid, have been handed the biggest rebuke and not before time. My guest later in the show will be Tishan Johnson, the Executive Director of Cherish Life Queensland. Cherish Life is the state's preeminent organisation advocating for human rights for the unborn children and proper support for their mothers. The organisation turned 50 recently and I had the privilege of attending their celebration dinner. Although we haven't had much to celebrate, our tenacity to keep persevering in the face of evil is about where it sits at the moment. And finally tonight, I'll bring you the latest of my legal stash with two taxpayer-funded anti-free speech drag queens. My case was covered in the Sunday Mail at the weekend, so stick around for the next 30 minutes or so. This penultimate episode for 2020 is not to be missed. Well, rainbow political activists pushing gender-fluid ideology on children received a slapdown from Britain's High Court last week. Judges ruled that children cannot give informed consent to have life-altering puberty-blocking chemicals prescribed for gender confusion. Britain's National Health Service, the NHS, announced that gender clinic the Tavistock has immediately suspended new referrals for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for the under-16s, which in future will only be permitted where a court specifically authorises it. Legal action against the Tavistock was brought by a mother of an autistic girl being pressured to take treatment and a woman, Kira Bell, who suffered transgender regret after receiving puberty blockers and testosterone as a child before having her breasts cut off. Bell, now 23, welcomed the judgment saying it was, quote, about protecting vulnerable children. I'm delighted to see that common sense has prevailed, she said. Now, it's worth watching this short clip of Bell explaining to the BBC how she was taken down the path of transitioning without proper consideration of other issues in her life that might have given rise to her gender confusion. Have a listen. Joining me now is one of the claimants in that case, Kira Bell, um, who won the case today. Kira, for those who don't know you, just outline your own story for us briefly. Uh, yeah, so uh, I was referred to the clinic at age uh, 15 and I was seen from age 16 uh, and I was put on puberty blockers that same year um, and on to testosterone the next year um, and then I went on to surgery through the adult clinic. Just explain to us, you suffered gender dysphoria as a, as a girl yes. and you felt that you wanted to transition to become a, a, boy, a man. Yeah, yeah. And then what happened? Um, so yeah, when I when I first arrived at the at the clinic, you know, my belief, you know, that I was a boy or you know that I should become a boy was affirmed. Um, you know, there was no investigation into why I had those feelings. You know, it was, it was pretty much accepted from the get go, and you know, um, yeah, medical interventions were um, spoken of quite quickly. So you went ahead. You had you had the blockers. You had surgery, mm. and then you decided that that wasn't the right course for you. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm um, just realizing I think that a lot of it isn't based in, uh, you know, it doesn't have scientific um, evidence behind it, um, you know, and, and just realizing that, um, you know, it's not a healthy route to go if, you know, I can, uh, you know, if I don't need to continue on with it. So, I mean, it's, it's incredibly personal. It's very sort of you-specific. Yes. But in your case, you felt that what they, they had let you have access to the drugs too quickly. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And that you should have been denied that because you, you weren't making a sound judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I was dealing with a lot of other mental health issues also. Um, and, you know, a lot of um, past issues that hadn't been brought up or, again, it wasn't investigated. So, um, yeah, there, there's always a lot of issues going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, definitely in my experience. And I think, um, you know, with the current kind of, um, you know, trend that we're seeing of, of young girls uh, being referred to the clinic. I guess th this judgment would stop them handing out the the treatment mm -hmm. straight away or after a, a short amount of counselling but if you you know as an articulate young woman went to the court and said I really mean this and I'm serious about it mm -hmm. there's every chance that the court would still have allowed you to do something which you would later regret isn't there? Um, I, I wouldn't say so um, because you know they, they would have actually looked into uh, the reasons you know why I, I wanted to uh, proceed with the treatment and you know I'm sure that the mental health issues and everything that should have been discovered at the Tavistock would have been brought out in the courts. There will be thousands of young people tonight who will be terrified by this judgment as you know terrified that this will stop them living the life that they need to be incredibly distressed because something that didn't work for you may still work and be very important to them. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're dealing with the topic of mental health, you know, obviously emotions will be running high. And I understand that, you know, um, I would have been in the same position perhaps as, you know, you know, someone, uh, you know, age 16, for example, um, you know, listening to, you know, what happened today. Um, but, you know, again, the High Court, you know, they, they came to their decision, you know, they're, they're high-tier judges and, you know, they looked so at the... you don't worry about the kids now who, I mean, some of them might even have their current drug treatment yeah. stopped. Do you, do you worry oh, I'm, about I'm, them? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm definitely concerned about them and I completely empathise with them. Um, you know, I think that better mental health services um, need to be put in place uh, to help that, that person through, the, you know, the period that they're going through. Um, you know, I think that's, that's the vital, you know, that's what needs to happen. Because for every Kira Bell, there could be somebody who isn't allowed and wants to be allowed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, again, the High Court, you know, they um, came to the conclusion that it isn't possible for, you know, particularly under 16s to uh, consent to that treatment, mm. uh, you know, and those protections are put in place for a reason. Carabelle, thank you. Thank you thank very you. much for coming in. Notice how the BBC's presenter still wants to make the case for helping children change their biological gender. The judgment will also be welcome news to parents who have been forced to allow what Scott Morrison once called gender whisperers to coax uh, confused and often autistic children down a path of experimental and irreversible interventions to their bodies. It should also be a wake-up call to the Australian politicians who have allowed, wittingly or unwittingly, gender-fluid ideology to be compulsorily taught to children in most state schools around the nation. It raises obvious questions about the legal liability for potential class actions in the future. 
What will be the taxpayer exposure when child transitioners grow up and realise they can't have children, have bone density and mental health problems? The news came, came as an Australian couple had their 15-year-old daughter forcibly removed by authorities because they did not want irreversible hormones prescribed. Child safety authorities are now applying for a court order to have her plied with testosterone. This is just unbelievable. Who would have ever thought that this could happen in Australia? That the, that the news has been met with silence by political leaders shows how we have surrendered to the demands of militant rainbow political activists. I think there's a lot more still to come out about all this. Some politicians, like former Queensland Education Minister Grace Grace, have argued that because marriage was degendered back in 2017, remember the same-sex marriage debate, she says that parents have no choice but to accept that their children will be taught at school that their gender is fluid. This week's, uh, last week's uh, court ruling in Britain uh, must cause a rethink of gender fluid indoctrination of children at school and the practices of gender clinics such as the one at Southbank here in Brisbane uh, and Australia's biggest uh, gender clinic run by the secretive clinician Dr Michelle Telfer at the Melbourne Royal Children's Hospital. A public inquiry must be held into what children are being taught at school and inquiry is needed into the practices of our gender clinics. No more secrecy. In Australia, an adolescent girl can have her breast cut off as part of so-called gender affirmation treatment. In contrast, thanks to last week's Tavistock ruling in Britain, children are no longer to be prescribed puberty blockers in that country. Australia needs to catch up urgently. We're in this mess because leaders have not stood up to the demands of the radical LGBTIQA political movement, which of course was emboldened after it successfully convinced Australians to degender marriage back in 2017. The Tavistock judgment surely must be the catalyst for change before more Kira Bells are scarred for life because of this false gender fluid ideology. On and on and on. And really, you've got to jump from there to perhaps 2008, the Victorian dam wall broke and they got their abortion law in Victoria. And that was the start of the cascade through the eastern states. And then 2017, when the other Andrews overturned Kevin Andrews' euthanasia bill in Victoria as well. And then 2018, Queensland fell on abortion. 2019, New South Wales fell on abortion. And really, the entire country has now collapsed in our estimation. Really, the entire country, spiritually, we've become a society of dingoes, among whom no baby is safe. This is catastrophic. And um, so you know, what, what, is to, what, what is there left? Have we lost everything? What is there left to be done in a society that has now formally, in law, abandoned its offspring? sacrificed them on that altar of male libido and feminist spite. What is there left to love and fight for in such a country? Well, we've got to think, we don't run the country anymore, our good people. What we do is we defend our space. A society of dingoes in which no baby is safe. That was my good friend, Dr. David Van Gen, speaking at the recent 50th anniversary dinner for Cherish Life Queensland. No one quite says it like David Van Gen. Well, joining me now is the Executive Director of Cherish Life Queensland, another good friend, Tishan Johnson. Tishan, welcome to The Lyle Sheldon Show. Hi, Lyle. Thank you so much for having me for Cherish Life. It's a real honour. 
Well, it's an honor to have you, Tishan, and it was terrific to be at the dinner the other week. Um, David Van Gend, I suppose, summed it up really well. We've lost so much uh, and it's almost like there's nothing really left to celebrate, is there? No, there isn't. I mean, we have one more battle left in terms of abortion. Obviously, we've got euthanasia battles right around the country, unfortunately. Um, South, South Australia, they were the first um, state to legalise abortion within the uh, legislative rather than judicial. So they allowed it in 1969, actually under a Liberal Premier, and they have a very big fight coming up, um, the final votes in February. So they have an abortion to birth bill, not as bad as New South Wales, but it's still very bad. And um, so they went through the upper house just uh, two weeks ago and it passed 12 votes to nine and now they're battling it out in the lower house. We're hoping and praying it doesn't pass, but that will be the last state to fall uh, in terms of pretty much abortion to birth in almost every single state and territory. That's pretty sad, isn't it, Tishan, given that um, you are marking the 50th anniversary of a champion organisation that's been there in the fight pretty much the whole time that the abortion wars have been going. Um, but uh, as David Van Gend also said on the night, um, it's it's like we've been like the elves of Rivendell fighting the fight of the long defeat. Is that how it feels to you, Tishan, as, as a warrior in this in this cause? Uh, I don't see it like that, but I love the poetry and David Van Gend is the most wonderful orator and, you know, he's highly qualified to speak in this space because he's been fighting it for many years and I know he said he was at Cherish Life's 25th anniversary dinner, so he's a great friend to us. Um, to me, it feels like there is a turning point, but we actually have to up the ante. We need a lot more Christians to get involved. We need a lot more Christians to join political parties. I actually spoke at South Australia's Walk for Life in uh, February this year, and I said one of the reasons we're out here outside Parliament pleading with them not to legalise abortion to birth is there's not enough of us in there. They're literally, we need like a tsunami of people who love God and love his ways and love the unborn to join political parties. Not everyone has to be a politician. Some will be called to be a politician, I believe, but just being rank and file member, that the fact we're not filling that space means automatically it goes more towards the way that isn't God. But when we fill that space, it comes back the other way. So I think that's a critical thing. We obviously need to change hearts and minds, but I see a shift. So I am encouraged. I mean, it, it literally couldn't get much worse than what it is, Lyle. I mean, mm. <laughs> I'm talking about abortion. It literally couldn't get much worse than Australia. And we Yeah, well, let, let me just pick you up on that point, Tishan. Um, I, I think the point you make is really, really important about people joining political parties and, and getting involved. And I know that we've started this conversation off on a bit of a sombre note because um, we need to be sombre. It, it's been terrible what's taken place since, as you said, South Australia legalised abortion back in 69. I think um, Victoria through the Manhattan court ruling uh, slightly before then. Uh, so it's it's been a tough five decades or so for those of us who care about human rights for unborn children. But on, on the positive side, people like yourself have led some really, really big marches. I've been to a few here in Brisbane in the last couple of years that you've led. And it's been exciting to see uh, thousands of people on the streets of Brisbane rallying to this cause, even though we know that it's a tough environment to fight in. 
Yeah, I actually think there's a cultural shift, Lyle. I think um, I know at our 50th anniversary, our first president, um, lovely lady by the name of Wynne Egan, was saying back then 20,000 people would turn up. And then it felt like, well, I wasn't here. Um, I was actually living, I'm originally from Sydney, but felt like, you know, for a couple of decades, it was probably a lull in terms of numbers. Now we're seeing a resurgence and there's like a pushback. So they talk about the great um, reset. I talk about the great pushback. It's time to push back. And I feel like um, there's even generations who are coming through who may not be Christian or, you know, they haven't been taught the gospel, but they're just like, well, you just don't kill because it's just wrong. There's kind of like, a, there's not the um, stigma that there was around single mum years ago. There's also not the like the extreme 70s rhetoric. My body, my voice, yeah. get people like we do you feel like the um, technology is working for the pro-life movement? Um, so many people now are seeing their unborn children at a very early stage of gestation through 3D ultrasound or 4D ultrasound. It's very, very clear images. Do you think that's starting to have an impact? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a blessing, the sophisticated ultrasounds. No one can deny they're not human beings. No one can say they're a clump of cells. You can see the baby moving around, enjoying their little life in the womb. Um, so it's definitely had a huge impact. I think there's been, um, I think, a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, people doing good work and um, influencing people through education and culture. There's still a lot of body of work to be done, but I'd say there's a shift. I can feel a shift. We can see the USA. Uh, there's been a number of states that said they've been able to actually unwind or roll back some abortion laws. And, you know, the saying is where the USA goes, the rest of the world follows. And you can see that sentiment coming through the younger generation as well. Like, it's just, it's just not right to kill people, you know. Um, so it's really, I'm, I'm very encouraged and I'm very encouraged by the hugeness of our rallies, all the young ones coming through. Um, also, the election campaigns we've run, both the federal and state elections, huge number of volunteers, huge campaigns. Thankfully, the federal election went the way we wanted. We managed to keep Bill Shorten out with his extreme Emily's List agenda, you know, to force all um, states to fully decriminalise right up to birth and then institute taxpayer-funded abortions everywhere. Uh, fed, the state election didn't go the way we wanted, um, but I think it wasn't what it definitely wasn't want for trying. It was, I think, a function of um, COVID and also I think LNP leadership could have been better. So, yeah. um, but we were very pleased that the LNP committed to review Labor's abortion laws and One Nation obviously had that right to life policy in Qatar promised yeah. to roll back the laws. That, that's a really um, important thing. And a lot of people missed the, the significance of this um, in the lead up to the Queensland state election. And you talked about the importance of people joining political parties. And, and I know you're a member of the LNP. Uh, I'm hoping to be a member of the LNP again. But um, the work that people like yourself and um, and I'm thinking of Mark and Julie Robinson, Mark Robinson, who I had on the show last week, and uh, we talked a little bit about this. But uh, Julie, as a rank and file member, ha has often moved pro-life motions at party conventions. And, and some of that ended up in the party policy being taken to the state election. And I don't ever remember a time where a leader of a mainstream political party has actually taken pro-life positions to an election. Um, can you just tell our viewers, I think the three points that Deb Frecklington took to the election uh, that were as a result of motions moved by rank and file party members? Yeah, definitely. And I should just qualify. I was a member of the LNP before I joined Cherish Life. And I kind of said, 
when I took the position, well, is it a conflict? And they said, no, no, by all means, keep your party membership because, you know, first and foremost, I'm a pro-lifer and it's my job and I, I try to be very fair to any party that is pro-life and obviously I'm very hard and I go after parties and candidates that aren't pro-life. So, um, but that happened, I think, I yes, definitely some party policy motions. I know there's a babies born alive motion that went up in the 2018 um, state convention, and I spoke to that as yep. did others, and it passed about. You know, it was reported in media. That's why I can gladly talk about it. And I got reported in media. That's how come it's, people know I'm a member of the LNP. But um, it, you know, it passed about by about 99.9% of the room agreed wow. that babies born alive in failed abortion should be given medical care. That was so encouraging. And as mm. you said, Julie Robinson has done some tremendous work getting policy motions up and through um, the LMP, and it now becomes party policy. I don't know if the one, the gestational limits was part of the policy platform, but in any event... Yeah, they- it was a review. Deb Franklin said she would take a... Um, uh, well, she said she took to the election a promise to review the gestational limits. Um, and I believe something around counselling and uh, convert coercion, is that right? Um, it checks through abortion coercion and also babies born alive was already part of their policy pack, so the motion that got moved. So mm. it was much, much better than what Labor was offering, which was more of the same, abortion to birth. And it was a point of difference. And as you said, that's never happened before. And I think it's really a function of, people who love God and care about the unborn joining the LNP and happy to just go to meetings and write policy and befriend politicians, you know, I think it'd be very lonely being a politician sometimes. So it's good to have some people come alongside you and start to educate you about important things. Hmm. No, that's really important. So everyone should be joining a political party. Sadly, I, I think Labor's a lost cause and there's an, I'm going to be partisan here tonight. But um, I remember the days when there were a lot of pro-life Labor Party members, and I I know you do too, and we've both lobbied them over the years. But uh, when the legislation came forward in Queensland in October 2018, uh, I don't think there was any Labor people who voted against Jackie Trad's abortion to birth bill. Maybe one Labor MP abstained, you would know. Joanne Miller, fabulous woman. She is like the last guard of Labor. So she crossed the floor, her party, some of the members of her own party hissed at her under the microphone. And the reason they hissed was if they speak, the mic picks it up, but they hissed at her like she was a snake. And some of them hadn't spoken, didn't talk to her since the abortion bill. She was treated phenomenally badly for standing up for life that day. Even though it was a so-called conscience vote, we know it wasn't a conscience vote for Labor. We know for a fact that a lot of yeah. them were threatened with, you know, they'd lose pre-selections. Some pre-selection meetings were timed at the time of the abortion vote, even though it was two years prior to the election. No one does pre-selections two years prior to an election. And other people were told if they voted the right way, they'd, you know, be a shadow minister. Oh, sorry, not a shadow minister, a minister or, you know, an assistant minister in this term of government. So it was scandalous what Labor did. That dear lady, Joanne Miller, um, resigned in tears earlier this year, in March this year, um, and one of the allegations was her own party bullied her. And she was yeah, extremely no. bullied for standing for life. So the Labor Party is nothing like the way it was many years ago when they were for the worker, for the family. They- no, that's exactly right. Yeah. I think it's unconscionable to vote for Labor on their abortion policy alone. I'm, I'm going to say that. Some people might disagree with me. But you, you mentioned Bill Shorten and, and uh, his policies at the 2019 federal election. Um, his then health spokesperson, Tanya Plibersek, said that she would withdraw 
uh, funding, federal government funding to state hospitals who didn't perform abortions to birth. Now, now, thankfully, they didn't get elected, but that was the policy. It's blackmail and it's also, oh, what is abortion your number one priority in health? What about poor old people yeah. having heart attacks? What, are you going to hold back $2 billion worth of health funding from New South Wales and the poor old people having heart attacks and strokes? It was scandalous. It was Emily, yeah. well, you know, she's Emily's list, Tanya Plebisic. It was Emily's yeah. list at their worst. It's also Catherine King, who's also an Emily's lister. Both of them got together it's, it's, and they devised this amazingly disgusting and abortion. And people don't know about this um and, and thanks to your organisation and more people need to uh, engage with organisations like this because I'm sure the average uh, voter, the average Christian doesn't have a clue. Tisha, I just want to, uh, our time's getting away, but um, there's another big battle coming up early next year and that's to do with euthanasia. What, what, how do you think that's going to go? The numbers are very tight. Obviously, um, Labor has a lot more numbers now. They now have 40, uh, 52 seats. They had 48 before the election. Uh, with the Premier strongly backing it, it's looking very, 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 very bad. Uh, it's likely, I've been told, that more LNP people would support this and what they supported the abortion bill. Obviously, we know at the time of the abortion vote, three out of 39 LNP people crossed the floor and voted with uh, Labor, Labor Greens. Um, I've been told that more people are leaning that way. We will put up the biggest fight we can. Um, we're doing everything we can, but then we've been told time and time again it's going to be very hard. So we're also looking at amendments and what we can do to get it less bad. And then at the state election we'll be seeing, so that's in four years, who will both commit to rolling back the abortion laws as well as euthanasia if it does pass. But um, people do need to be lobbying their MP and saying, look, they do. this is not okay. We want better palliative care. We need to be lobbying for better palliative care. It's about $150 million underfunded every year, according to the yeah. AMA in Queensland. So instead, we're going to offer people a lethal injection instead of um, the possibility of dying with dignity through proper palliative care. Tishan, it was very disappointing to see uh, David Crucifelli, the new LNP leader, when asked about euthanasia in the, in the uh, Sunday Mail a week or two ago, he said he wouldn't comment on his personal position because he wanted to see the legislation. Now, the assumption there is that it's possible to produce legislation for euthanasia that's safe. Uh, that's never been done anywhere in the world where you have a situation where you don't get wrongful deaths as a result of euthanasia laws. You're spot on. There are, are always wrongful deaths. There are no effective safeguards. There will always be people being killed against their will or they'll be given a wrong diagnosis, wrong prognosis, you know, elder abuse, coercion, all of that. Um, it's outrageous. So in terms of you can't have safe euthanasia laws. It's like we have saying you, we have safe laws for people to blow their heads off. You know, we're yeah. going to make it safe yeah. for you to kill yourself. Sorry, that's probably a bit extreme. So there's a lot of, lot of education that needs to happen for politicians and, of course, the wider public uh, where there's a lot of confusion and, and sadly, a lot of support. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk announced before the election that she was going to do this and she was returned with a increased majority. So uh, unfortunately, people are voting for this. Yeah, I actually don't think it got her over the line looking at the, the post-election analysis. Uh, but we do know from polling that it's people don't understand euthanasia. They sometimes think it's turning off the machine, but that's in the realm of palliative care. Like that's turning right. off the 
someone's relying on life support and they also think you know if someone refuses treatment at the end of life they think that's euthanasia that's not that's within the realm of palliative care so we have been for a couple of years trying to do education about defining what's euthanasia what's palliative care and what's ethical and what's not ethical um, but the average man on the street doesn't understand it so they I'm like of course people should have the right to die with dignity also they use loaded language um, yeah. but we know dying with dignity is the chief uh, one of the chief lobby suicide lobby groups up here in Queensland so it isn't um I, look we'll give it our best shot um I we'll, we'll always give it our best shot we're doing our best to yeah. educate people it's the way the government is Lyle we just have to flip governments that's where we're at right, right around Australia we just have to be moving people into politics and then making sure our people win and I think that's really the way we're going to get real change we need we urgently need Christians to be salt and light in the government sphere the media sphere, education, but at the moment the spotlight seems to be on government because we're just losing one battle after another. Well, it's a big cultural battle, Titian, and uh, well done to Cherish Life Queensland on 50 years. Uh, it's my hope that you won't have a 100-year anniversary because by then abortion will be abolished and uh, euthanasia will be. And uh, I, I think that's not unrealistic if, if we keep rallying the people as people like yourself are, and uh, as the evidence comes forward, I think there's great reason to hope, but uh, we need to keep persevering. So, so good on you, Tishan, and thanks so much for being with me tonight. Thanks, Lyle. It was great to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. You're with The Lyle Shelton Show. For those who've been following the taxpayer-funded anti-free speech legal action against me by two LGBTIQA plus drag queens, here's the latest. The Sunday Mail at the weekend revealed what the two drag queens suing me actually want. In short, $20,000 and an apology for a blog I wrote last January. Back then, I said drag queens were dangerous role models for children and the Brisbane City Council should not be facilitating drag queen story time. You can go to my website, lyleshelton.com.au, and read the Sunday Mail story there in full. However, the paper didn't report everything. I, I get that space is limited. Critical to the story is the drag queen's legal, legal demand, their key legal demand, that I be gagged forever. Uh, you can click through on my website and see the orders that they're seeking in paragraph 18c on page 5 of the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal documents that they've lodged. Now their legal action, supported by the taxpayer-funded LGBT legal service, is a warning shot to every concerned parent in Australia. Don't criticise drag queen story time or else. I will not be granting their demands, for to do so would be to surrender the freedom of speech of all Australians. At stake is the freedom of parents to critique and debate the demands for influence on their children coming from an aggressive rainbow political movement. I've done nothing wrong. You and I should be allowed to think and speak about the issues that arise from placing LGBTIQ A plus gender fluid and adult entertainer role models in front of children in public libraries. Natasha Bitter's story in the Sunday Mail focused mainly on just one of the drag queens, Dwayne Hill, whose drag name is Diamond Goodrim. Her reporting of what he represents is accurate and more is available in my earlier posts on my blog. Hill, who boasted on Facebook of his ex-industry award handed out by the porn trade, told the Career Mail in October, quote, We have a right to perform regardless if it's to children or adults, end quote. 
Now, many parents would disagree and would want to be free to discuss this. However, perhaps for reasons of space, details about the other drag queen, Johnny Valkyrie, uh, were not mentioned. That's a shame because last week, as I mentioned uh, earlier uh, in Britain's High Court, uh, a blow was struck to the idea that gender conversion therapy should be practiced on children. Now, Valkyrie is a woman who, since reading to children as an advocate for gender fluid ideology back in January, has undergone a double mastectomy so that she can present as a man. She was presenting as a man back then, but I guess she wants to feel more like a man by having had that surgery. Now, gender queer theory preaches the idea that children's gender is assigned at birth by midwives, doctors, and parents who simply assume things about babies based on penises or vaginas. I mean, what would they know? However, the LGBTIQA plus political movement's promotion of this ideology to children received a severe rebuke in the British High Court, as I mentioned earlier. A woman who has been encouraged to have sex change conversion therapy as a child, Kira Bell, and a concerned mother of an autistic daughter won their case against the Tavistock Gender Clinic. The court said children could not give informed consent to take experimental puberty blockers and irreversible cross-sex hormones. This case should have, a, should have big implications for Australia, where politicians from both sides have decreed that genderqueer theory be taught compulsorily to children in most state schools. Australia also has a number of Tavistock-type gender clinics practising controversial gender conversion therapy on children. In these clinics in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, children applied with chemicals to block puberty and cross-sex hormones which have irreversible side effects. Some children in Australia even have been granted double mastectomies. Commenting on the Tavistock case, Queensland University legal academic Professor Patrick Parkinson told uh, The Weekend Australian, quote, Australian courts have said that a 15-year-old girl could have an informed consent or could give an informed consent to a double mastectomy, while the English court has said a 15-year-old probably doesn't have the capacity even to give consent to puberty blockers, let alone hormone treatment and irreversible surgery, end quote. Now, I contend that a key pathway to gender confusion is the ability of LGBTQI plus, sorry, LGBTQI, IQA plus political movement, that political movement to recruit the young and they recruit very young. That's why I wrote about drag queen story time. That's why none of us should allow taxpayer funded political activists with the backing of flawed laws to silence us. One more thing, those of us who fought the LGBTIQA plus political movement's crusade to degender marriage warned that the indoctrination of children would be next. The same-sex marriage yes campaign, which now spends its time supporting legal action against Christian schools, flat out denied there would be any consequence for freedom of speech and for parents' rights not to have their children taught radical concepts. Defending their promotion of Drag Queen Storytime, the Newcastle City Council said it was the result, that is, Drag Queen Storytime was the result, of same-sex marriage. Who would have thought? Queensland's former Education Minister, Grace Grace, said the same about why parents now had to accept their children being taught gender-fluid indoctrination of school using resources such as the gender-bred person. Australians were lied to in 2017 during that same-sex marriage debate. Freedom of speech and the well-being of children is now at stake, big time.
Well, that's it for the Lyle Shelton Show this week. Don't forget, if you've not read my new book, I kid you not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture Wars, please go to lyleshelton.com.au and grab your copy. It's just $35 per copy, and that includes postage and handling. It will make a great Christmas gift for the thinking person in your life. Now, don't miss next week's show where Good Source editor Dave Pellow will be joining me in conversation as we reflect on the year that was. We'll be coming to you from an exotic location along the Queensland coast. That's all I'll say about that for now. It'll be the last show for this year, so you won't want to miss it. Thanks again to Dave and his team of volunteers for producing my show. Thank you for watching or listening. Until next week, goodbye. The Lyle Shelton Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Lyle Shelton. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.